Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is sponsored by The Terrible Two, the hilarious new children's book series that's filled with pranks, hijinks, and cows. Perfect for fans of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, it's by New York Times best-selling authors, longtime friends, and certified pranksters Mac Barnett and Jory John. That's The Terrible Two from Amulet Books. And by Little Passports, the award-winning subscription that inspires your child to learn about the world. Featuring a new country each month, packages arrive filled with souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more. Fans of Mom and Dad Are Fighting can save 40% on their first month today with promo code FIGHT40. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash fighting. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 29th, the If I Only Had a Girl edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 6, Sam 4, happy birthday, Sam 4, and Wally 1. Happy birthday. Uh, I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate. I am the dad of Harper, who is seven, and Lyra, who is nine. On today's show, we'll talk to Lenore Skenazi, mother and founder of the website freerangekids.com, about her new reality show, World's Worst Mom, and about encouraging parents to let their kids be more independent. And then Slate movie critic Dana Stevens will defect from the Culture Gab Fest to come talk to us about what she's learned from how her daughter watches movies. Plus, Parenting Triumphs and Fails, a listener call about if Dan really wishes he had a son, and recommendations. <laughs> Dan, you're going to have to yeah, be Yeah, that's what it's about. Yes. Uh, plus, for our Slate Plus segment, Dana will stick around and tell us about one of her spectacular Parenting Triumphs or Fails. Speaking of Slate Plus, now is a great time to sign up, not just to hear Dana talk about how she screwed up, or maybe didn't screw up, I don't want to assume, uh, but also for a great Slate Plus-only spoiler special podcast on Downton Abbey with Seth Stevenson and June Thomas. Uh, you want to hear that, so go to sleep.com slash plus to sign up. Also, our regular plea, please subscribe to Mom and Dad Are Fighting in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and keep spreading the word to parents and non-parents alike. Okay, Dan, on to triumphs and fails. Onwards. I have a fail this week. It's uh, It's a slightly embarrassing one. Um, so My favorite Al- kind. All right. It's what we live for. Allison, uh, are your kids picky eaters? I can't remember what you have said about what yes. they like. Yeah, they're super picky. My kids are also super picky. It seems like it seems like almost all kids are super picky, except for all of my kids' cousins who eat, like, anything. It's so annoying. But anyways, we, tr- like, make them try things at the table at dinner. Like, that's the, the idea is that you always try one bite of everything, no matter what. But they never, ever, ever 
like anything, any kind of vegetable or any kind of slightly exotic food or anything. Whenever we try to make them eat anything new, they always complain, it's spicy. But of course, it never actually is spicy. Spicy to them means that it has flavor, flavor. Yes. of any kind, <laughs> that it doesn't taste like rice, basically. Do they take so, that bite? Like, do they swallow it or do they, is it dramatic and they like it's freak out? It's very dramatic. And they, yeah. It's often they spit it out. Sometimes yes. it ends up on the floor because <laughs> yeah. they accidentally dropped it on the floor. Anyway, it's a total, it's, it's so annoying. So last night I made salmon, which they will eat, and rice, which they will obviously eat because it tastes like rice, as long as it's white rice. Not obviously. My kids won't eat rice. Well, that's that's like their baseline of lack of flavor. That's what they – your kids won't eat rice? No. Jesus Christ. Uh, and I made Brussels sprouts. So I, try, I asked them each to try one Brussels sprout. With bacon or without bacon? Without bacon. And they took the little teensiest, tiniest bites of the Brussels sprouts and they said, no, it's spicy. And I like – I couldn't take it. I was like, ah, it's not spicy. It is a Brussels sprout. It tastes like Brussels sprouts. And they insisted that it was spicy. And I was like, you're crazy. And I got annoyed at them for just for never eating anything. Because it's like they claim, right, that if you just keep having your kids try things, eventually they will magically develop like a widely varied palate. But I see no evidence of that whatsoever because it has been nine years and they still (laughs) will not eat shit. So anyway, then I tasted the Brussels sprout, and it was actually very spicy. <laughs> I guess I put too much red pepper flakes on it, so I felt like a huge asshole. So the big fail, the overarching fail, is that my kids still will never eat anything. But the little fail is that the one time that something actually was spicy, I claimed it was not. <laughs> That's a good one. We Thanks. were just at, the, at Sam's checkup, and the doctor asked him, you know, are you eating your fruits and vegetables? Which vegetables? And he, he doesn't eat any vegetables. And he said, right. you know, he said carrots. And she was like, she winked at me and said, like, mom will just keep hiding them as though I'm, like, making these, like, you know, <laughs> elaborate purees and then filtering them into, you know, dessert or whatever. I was like, I bet oh, you're doing God. Jessica Seinfeld. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, I have a triumph, a heartwarming triumph. Hooray! Uh, um, which happened yesterday, which was a snow day in New York City. Uh, a not necessary snow day, it turned out. The kids totally could have gone to school. But it was a snow day, and I started the day by, like, being incredibly tense about how I was going to care for my kids and get work done. I'm sure right. you're familiar with that dynamic. Uh, and was like being kind of a jerk to everybody and um, trying to figure out how we could get our sitter to come even though her bus wasn't running and sort of like, you know, maybe asking too much of her, I think, probably to get there. Uh, And then I headed out to the sledding hill uh, to get Harry, who we had left there with some friends and was feeling like I'm just going to get him and get him back and we'll put him in front of the TV and I'll do my work. And everyone was having so much fun at the sledding hill. And it was, like, just all these parents who also have jobs, presumably, like, you know, no less important than mine, <laughs> uh, having fun with their kids, kids having fun with each other, whatever, just regular snow day stuff. And I just was like, what am I doing? Why am I, like, ruining this one day for my kids and, like, freaking out? I'll get my work done at some point. I'll ask for help from some people at work. And, like, I should... Let my kids have a fun snow day with their family. And that's essentially what I did. I didn't really do any work until until like 4 o'clock. Sorry, Julia. Uh, and it was really fun and nice, and I don't regret it at all. That is a really great triumph. Congratulations. Thank you. Can we talk maybe after about all the stuff that I need you to do today <laughs> for work? Thanks to everyone who helped me out to allow that to be possible. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like a lo- there are just like a lot of moments recently that I kind of ruin 
family, nice family moments that I kind of ruined by being, like, completely stressed out about work. And I want to stop doing that and, like, figure out a way to, you know, whatever. Oh, my God. I don't mean be mindful, but, like, be in the moment a little I bit think, and not I always think you be mean thinking be mindful, about work. Allison. I, I don't think want to really always be thinking be about work when I'm with my kids because it makes me angry at them. It's a great triumph and a great goal and one I would also like to yeah. aim for yeah. and will, in the future, fail, fail at. at. Yep. All right. Uh, we've got a giveaway, a exciting giveaway for uh, mom and dad are fighting listeners. Um, we have three, count them, three DVD, Blu-ray, digital combo packs of The Box Trolls. The Box Trolls is one of the five nominees for Best Animated Feature this year at the Huskers. It is a totally fun, weird, original movie by Leica. That's the company that made Coraline and Paranorman. I took my kids to it this fall, and when we left afterwards, they were all totally delighted. And I remember Harper said something like, I have never seen a movie like that before. So we've got three copies of the movie to give away to mom and dad or fighting listeners. To get one of these copies, please send us an email at momanddad at slate.com and give us snow day advice for future snow days, which will certainly happen. What is the funniest thing you have ever done with your kids on a snow day? What is the best thing that you remember from snow days when you were a kid? If you were a listener in Florida or some shit, tell us what you would do if, like, sinkholes closed down school for a day. I don't know. Anyways, email us at momanddad at slate.com. We may read your advice on the air. We may add you to our mailing list. The best three answers get DVDs from us. It's a DVD, Blu-ray, digital combo pack of the box trolls. Thank you very the much. The best three answers judged by... Judged by us. Yeah. Based on whatever we want. <laughs> based on how much we want to read them out loud on a future show. Okay. On to our first topic. A Maryland family has been in the news this month after letting their two children, 10 and 6, walk home by themselves from a playground about a mile away from their house. As you've no doubt heard by now, the police picked the kids up and CPS ended up investigating their parents, Danielle and Alexander Mativ. This caused an outcry across the land about police overreach into family life and cultural nervousness about letting kids be kids. But the truth is, many parents don't do what the Mativs in Maryland did. Many of us don't let our kids walk alone or otherwise roam independently in the world. Lenore Skenazi has been preaching about the importance of letting our children exert their independence for a long time, ever since she was publicly reamed in 2008 for allowing her nine-year-old son to ride the New York City subway on his own. Well, now Lenore has her own reality show called World's Worst Mom, which airs on the Discovery Life channel at 9 p.m. on Thursday nights. In it, Lenore, a.k.a. the world's worst mom, tries to help families struggling with letting their kids roam free. And she's here with us today to talk about the show and the struggle. Hey, Lenore. The show and the struggle, right on. <laughs> it is, and my husband always says it's a civil rights movement, which it is. It's like, you know, children deserve the right to go outside. Woo! So tell us, you, I mean, why has this become your mission in life, your civil rights struggle, to convince parents to chill out a little bit and let their kids... Uh, say, ride the bus alone or use a knife or play a rough sport? Why do you care? Well, it seems to me that the reason they're not allowed to do those things is um, a kind of fear that has been shoved down our throats by the 24-7 media cycle that just is telling us the worst stories about kids and the most tragic outcomes from most everyday activities wherever they can find them. And uh, I feel like we don't have to take that. It's not fair to make us think that our children are in constant danger when we're living in the safest times in human history. Why would we take childhood away from our kids just because the media is saying, be very, very scared? 
so the show in each episode of the show you are called in by one family to sort of rescue them and in each of the episodes that i've watched so far mm-hmm. it has always been the the mom who is yeah. sort of the 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 one who is totally helicoptering and then is it the dads who call you in is that how you are finding these families yeah, I mean, I don't find them. The production company interviewed 2,000 families or screened 2,000 families to find 13 that were extraordinarily anxious um, and yet willing to have me, you know, the world's worst mom, come and hang out with them for four or five days doing this intervention. So uh, in, the, in the families that I meet, there's no family where the father is more anxious than the mom, but there are uh, several families where the father is equally anxious. I was really interested by the role that the dads play, especially in these first few episodes, where it really feels like mm. these dads are at sea, like they're a little bit desperate about the way that their family is developing, and it's clear it's not. this is not the way they envisioned parenting would be, but they seem essentially afraid of of their of their wives and of sort of disrupting or exacerbating their wives' fear. Do you feel like in some of the families that you've dealt with inside of the show and outside, that mm-hmm. there's a specific role that dads can play in fostering a free-range kid that might be a little bit different than the role that a mom can play? Well, certainly in the families that I met, a, a lot of the dads want their kids to be able to ride a bike, for God's sake. The, the first episode is a mom who won't let her 10-year-old even get on a bike because she's afraid he'll fall off and get hurt. Um, the role dads, you know, uh, uh, not to be sexist, but there is a sort of grand tradition of many dads wanting their kids to say, you know, to be able to say, add a boy and, and, you know, send their kids off to the playground or, you know, go build a fort in the woods. And these fathers are no different from that. But when you're dealing with a person who is so scared, um, it's, it's difficult. I mean, the, the, the moms in these cases are really in the grips of, of terror. And the thing about fear is, is that it's catching. And a bunch of the dads um, married to very, very nervous moms ended up feeling equally nervous because the, the thing that, that I keep seeing happening is it's, it's hard to let your kids go if you immediately go to the worst case scenario in your mind. So if you think you're going to put them on a bike and they're going to suffer traumatic head injury, or if you think that you're going to let them walk to school and they're going to be snatched, um, and you start talking about that, it is sort of hard to get that scary image out of your head. So the only thing that I realize that changes any of these parents is replacing that picture with reality, and that's what my show does. I, I come in, I swoop into the house, I say, you're afraid to let the kid ride a bike? Here's a bike. You're afraid to let the kid walk to school? Okay, tomorrow your kids are walking together to school. And when the kids come home and they're happy and proud and sweaty and hungry and just bursting, that's what changes the parents. The parents are proud, and that takes the place of the fear. And it did it with the moms as well as the dads. And the idea is not just to change the parents, but it's it's actually about the kids, right? Like you think that letting them, um, whatever it is, ride a bike or walk to school makes them more successful. Well, I think it makes them happy, but it, actually I, I almost think it's more about changing the parents because a kid who's ready to ride a bike or ready to you know run some errands for her parents or his parents doesn't get to do it if the parents say no. So the parents are the gatekeepers, literally. And so first you have to change the parents. And then the kids, gosh, I was just watching an episode that's coming up this week. And um, one of the little girls, she's 10 and she's never had, um, she's never been allowed to go on a play date. And she says she feels like she's living in an iron dome. And then I checked and and that's exactly what a kid said on, on an episode in the first week. It's like, I feel like I'm in an iron box. And so 
the kids are, you know, the kids are using a prison metaphor, whether they recognize it as that or not, because they are imprisoned in a way by by the parents. And I, I don't blame the parents because I feel like the parents are imprisoned by fear that this this um, this worst first thinking that we do think up the worst case scenario first. So you have to um, have the parents open the 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 door, unlock the the door before the kids get to to fly out. I found it very heartening so far that in the episodes that I've watched that most of the kids don't seem like infected by that same fear virus that the parents, especially the moms have, like despite having in the case of one of the episodes last week, a mom who literally is telling her kids, you're going to get abducted, raped and murdered. <laughs> they, they don't have that fear. They really want to just like go out and explore. And I have enjoyed seeing that. You mentioned this week's episode, which will air Thursday night this week. That will be mm-hmm. tonight for our listeners who will listen to this episode on Thursday. Uh-huh. Um, I found that episode really fascinating and moving, in fact, because yeah. this thing that Phyllis goes through, it, it seemed a little bit more relatable to me than the first two episodes. Phyllis doesn't seem like bananas hovering. She just seems really scared. And the fact that by the end of the episode, she's not only conquered her fear about her own kids, but also her fears for herself, yeah. I found really touching and interesting. What was what in that family was she so scared of, and what do you do to help her get over that? I just love Phyllis. I was just watching that episode myself. Um, Phyllis is afraid that her kids will be hurt. Um, she's afraid to... This is the one where the 10-year-old isn't allowed to have a play date, and her 12-year-old... That's a girl. And her 12-year-old son isn't allowed to ride his bike to join his friends at the park for a basketball game. And I mean, they're not even allowed to play in the backyard unsupervised. Right. And, and you know, that's what I say. I never blame these moms. I'm, I, I feel like they've seen a story on To Catch a Predator or Law and Order where something horrible happened, even in the backyard. And once you've seen those images, they're very hard to get out of your brain. Your brain's like Google. You say, is my kid safe at the bus stop? And up pops J.C. Dugard. And you think that that's the most relevant answer to your search, and it's not. It's the most irrelevant because it's just the rarest, but it, it grips you. And this mom was gripped by fear. And and one of the things she was afraid of was even for herself, she had some social anxiety, if that's what you want to call it. And she didn't want to call up the parents of her daughter's friends to say, can my daughter go over for a play date? Uh, and so I hand her the phone. I was like, come on, she's 10. She She never gets to see her friends after school. She feels lonely and you know the parent really wants the best for her daughter and for her whole family so having it put in those stark terms and listening to a little videotape we made of her daughter saying mom i i feel like i'm stuck here she's the one i said i feel like i'm in an iron dome the mom says god i i don't want to do this to her and so with the phone in front of her she picks it up she calls the other family and the other family says oh you're her so-and-so's mom that's great sure we'll have our kid come over this afternoon and and that's what happens in each case. The, the action breaks the cycle. The mom hangs up the phone. She goes, <laughs> that's kind of nice. I mean, you know, you're talking to your, your kid's friend's mom. That's somebody pleasant. And, um, and now it's set in action. And once she sees off camera, I asked the daughter, I said, how was today? And she said it was great. I said, how does it compare to a birthday? And she said, this was the greatest day of my life. Some of the um, some of the families in the show in the in the show are are kind of extreme, but I think for a lot of us, even you know, I can reason my way out of. I can have that Google search pop up and like think of a mm-hmm. worst case scenario, and then like mm-hmm. talk myself down from it. Reason mm-hmm. reason my way out of it. Understand mm-hmm. that that's actually an extreme, mm-hmm. but there are still cultural norms that are really hard to break. I think mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if nobody else in your neighborhood is letting their kid walk to school by themselves. 
Uh, it's not as much about like a fear of what will happen as just like a thing that's not done. Mm -hmm. And that seems like the harder thing to overcome. They're, They're both really hard to overcome. What I've heard from people who write to my site sometimes is that they really want to free range their kids, and so they started letting like their seven and their nine year old walk to school, you know, the, the four blocks together. And, and the thing that heartens me is that sometimes, and this actually happened with us, <laughs> then other parents see these kids walking, or the kids see other kids walking, they say, How about I walk with them? And then the parents say, Okay, you know, if those kids are going to let you, and of course they do. And then pretty soon, it's sort of like, like wildflowers starting to grow again in, in an area that had just been mowed down or barren. Uh, you know, a couple of seeds plant there, and then more and more grow, and pretty soon it's normal again. So, so I really am trying to change those social norms that you're talking about. I, th- I don't think there's any reason we should be driving past playgrounds that are empty after school or parks that have no children in, in them except in uniforms because it's soccer practice. I really think the kids should be and could be walking outside and playing outside and making their play dates and getting on their bikes the way we did when we were kids if we just just show parents how easy and fun and normal it is again and that's what the show does it says it's not this it's not bungee jumping it's walking to the local school and when parents see that it breaks the fear so is this process for you has it ever been about overcoming your own fears or is oh this just God. very natural oh oh, are you kidding i have a you know, my son is taking driving lessons. It's terrifying. It's literally terrifying. I totally empathize. And I, I never thought that I was a particularly brave parent. I, I, I always believe in safety. I believe in helmets and car seats and seat belts and mouth guards. Um, I, I just didn't have the stranger danger thing in me. And I think that's why I've always wanted my kids to be part of the world and interacting with it. But I would, I would never say I'm a particularly brave parent. I, I'm not. Do you think that these families that who you've dealt with are going to be able to continue this even when, for example, their kids go to the mall without <laughs> protective camera crews trailing behind them, filming right. them well, as they go? Right. Well, let me say two things. One is, yeah, it seems ridiculous to say these kids were on their own when we obviously they had a camera crew with them, but we always spent some of the time with them thinking they were alone. Like when I had a son, uh, one of the kids ride a bus. He thought he got on the bus alone. We had a, you know, a production assistant with his hat pulled down over his head sitting in the back <laughs> of the bus. So the kid doesn't know who that production assistant is. But, so they were, they were legally covered and literally supervised, but they, the child didn't know that. But in terms of the parents changing and being able to sustain that, um, I'm, I'm not only, I'm absolutely positive they changed for real. And um, when we were filming The Very Last Family, where the mom called me a barracuda, um, I I printed out for the crew the emails that the parents had sent me long after they had gone home. Um, that, you know, no cameras running, not for, you know, not for publication even, just parents writing to me saying like, well, you'll be happy to know, for instance, Sammy, the boy who wasn't allowed to ride a bike and had never mm-hmm. been on an overnight, he ended up spending that summer, two weeks that very summer, at BMX Bike Camp. You'll be happy to know, Lenore, that we sent our kids to the bus stop by themselves. Hey today uh, really? we have we have no idea if they made it to school or not i guess we'll find out <laughs> in but, the blizzard. Uh, we were very we were very we were inspired by that by the story last weekend and wow. by the show so really good job. really good it job inspired you? yes that's i mean wouldn't that be cool because you know i write i blog every day i've been blogging for six years free range kids this free range kids that and the idea that maybe the tv show will inspire some people is something i dared not even hope you know, I mean, I think it makes good TV. I think I help those families a lot. But the idea that regular people would watch and say, 
it's time for us to try this, why not, is it's almost unbelievable. It's well, it inspired me both to be more free-range and also not to be as crazy as the parents on the show. <laughs> it's so. all about a competition. <laughs> really, right, or I right. might descend on your house. God right. forbid. What if, it's what if you do? <laughs> okay, thanks, Lenore. Again, uh, Lenore's show, World's Worst Mom, is on the Discovery Life channel at 9 p.m. on Thursdays. Thank you, guys. Don't argue. Thanks, Lenore. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right, let's pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor, Allison. This week's podcast is sponsored by the hilarious, prank-filled new children's book series, The Terrible Two, by the New York Times bestselling authors, longtime friends, and certified pranksters, Mac Barnett and Jory John, with really cool illustrations by Kevin Cornell. The Terrible Two is the story of buddies Miles and Niles, two pranksters who start out as rivals but end up banding together to pull off the greatest prank their school has ever seen. The book is really fun and fast-moving, which is important for getting reluctant readers hooked. Uh, And it's full of fun ideas for pranks, which you may blanch at, but they're actually really clever and will get your kids thinking creatively and maybe pulling a prank or two on you, which you should chill out about and enjoy. So if you're looking for a new chapter book series for your kids, check out The Terrible Two from Amulet Books. Yes, and the illustrations are totally adorable. Amulet publishes a lot of great graphic literature, and this is in the great tradition of a lot of the stuff that they do. Yeah, it's great. So we'll have a a link to the book on our show page. Check it out. Okay, on to our listener call. Each week, we take a call and try to answer it. If you have a question for us or one you'd like us to find an expert to answer, call us. Leave us a message at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. I don't have a funny rude joke today. It's always making fun of you. I know. It's what I was by telling my kids that the Brussels sprouts weren't spicy. Good one. Okay. Now, on to this week's listener call from Anna. My question is about gender, and more specifically, gender disappointment, which seems to be something of an elephant in the room where parenting is concerned. Allison, as the mother of three boys and Dan as the father of two girls, I'm wondering whether either of you, secretly or not so secretly, pine for a child of the opposite gender. By the way, this question is coming from the now-contented mom of a boy who always dreamed of parenting a girl. Thanks so much. Bye. Uh, Anna, good question. That's hard to answer. I mean, yes, I sometimes pine for, I don't know if I pine, well, I pine for a girl in that I think at this age, the age my kids are at, girls would be easier and calmer and mine are like wild and crazy. And then later, I think I think about um, missing out on the mother-daughter relationship I had with my mother and I think is probably unlikely to develop between myself and my sons, even though we'll be close in a way, it will be different, I think. Uh, And yeah, so I I mean, we went for the third, hoping to round out our family with a girl. We didn't find out gender with the first two in advance, but the third one we decided to because I wanted to kind of know and prepare myself emotionally. And I cried uh, when I found out that Wally was a girl. But... Um, obviously I love him and I think our family is as it should be. And I like having a rowdy brood of three boys, but certainly like, you know, I think part of having kids is wanting to emulate certain things from your childhood or maybe, uh, have things be different than your childhood. But, but one of the things that I really value is my relationship with my mother. And so, yeah, I, I, I do, I would like to have that, but not enough to, to have a fourth, (laughs) I never, ever, ever wanted boys. I never wanted boys. I only ever wanted girls. And I was super grateful that that is what we got. 
That's how my dad feels. He says that he thinks he would have been a, you know, a t- had a tough time or been really hard on boys. He thinks he would have been a hard dad on boys. And he, oh, he, he thinks it's worked out really well for him to have two girls. I don't know if I would have been a hard bat- dad on boys, but I do think that boys are a pain in the ass. And having been like a, like, so they're rowdy when they're kids. And then having been a teenage boy, I know that they are like awful in their own way. And I guess it's a way that I was, would be familiar with, but but all the other teen boys drove me so crazy when I was a teen boy that like the idea of having one of those in my house seems terrible. Um, and girls definitely offer their own challenges, especially in the teen years. And obviously every kid is different and you can't actually make a, a ironclad prediction about what a kid is going to be like or what your relationship with that kid is going to be like based on their gender. But we didn't have that. That said, I totally get it. Like if we – if with each of those kids we had been told they were boys, I would have been disappointed at first each time. Um, I mean, as you say, obviously you get over it the second the actual child exists, right? When it stops being about what kind of child you have and it starts being about the actual child that you are holding in your arms. But it is, I think, a, a, an issue for people. And I feel it most often um, when with like the really stereotypically boy activities that my kids are not interested in, but which I sort of secretly wish I could do. I think I talked last episode about loving visiting my nephew in Wisconsin because all he wants to do a lot of the time is just throw football around, which I would be perfectly happy to do for two hours still, even as a 40 year old. And I definitely don't have that with either of my girls. Although to be fair, I could foster that in them, and that hasn't been enough of a priority for me to really, like, drill into them that playing catch is fun. Right. And I have boys who don't care about sports at all. So I don't – yeah, I think – I mean, things don't break down on strict gender lines, obviously. But um, but I think, you know, those feelings are human and natural, and, and I'm glad you're happy now, and it's okay if you were a little bit disappointed before. That's totally normal to be a little bit disappointed, Yes. Okay, listeners, if you have a question for us, again, call us at 424-255-7833. We will be psyched to get your call. Okay, Dan, you have a word from our advertiser? I do. Bring a travel adventure home each and every month with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. It's a monthly subscription that you can get for your kids, and you get a monthly package in the mail each month highlighting a new global destination like Japan or Brazil or other places around the world. Your kid gets a wall-sized world map, and he or she can enjoy learning about the world through letters, souvenirs, stickers, and activities from imaginary pen pals Sam and Sophia who are traveling the world. Uh, if your kids are like mine, they really, really love getting mail. It's like a huge treat when something comes in the mail for them. And this is a great monthly package that both gives them something to open and enjoy and also teaches them what a great and exciting place the world is. Little Passports makes the perfect gift for five to 10 year olds. And it should inspire a lifelong interest in travel and world cultures. Uh, I have just subscribed for Harper, who I think is totally going to love it. Um, We are excited about maybe this summer going out of the country with our kids for the first time ever. Uh, And we're hoping that Little Passports might cover Iceland pretty soon. So if you're listening, Little Passports people, do an Iceland pack. Uh, Mom and Dad are fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with the promo code FIGHT40. That's FIGHT40 in all caps, F-I-G-H-T-4-0. Learn more at www.littlepassports.com slash fighting. And once again, that promo code is FIGHT40. All right, on to our second segment. 
It's already been called on Twitter the most touching work of post-structuralist film theory ever written. It's Slate film (laughs) critic Dana Stevens' essay on watching movies with her daughter. I edited this story, and I really wanted to bring Dana on to talk about it, because I find the issues at play in this essay totally fascinating, and I recognize them in my own kids. The essay is all about... The movies that Dana's daughter, Pearl, who is almost nine, watches movies in a totally different way than Dana always has, and how that has affected our film critic's way of watching movies herself. It's totally fascinating, totally thought-provoking, and totally adorable. So I'm so happy to have Dana Stevens, Slate's film critic, here to talk to us about it. Hey, Dana. Hey, I'm happy to be here. So, Dana, in your essay, the first thing that you really get into is how Pearl's way of watching movies, her whole mode of watching movies, is so totally different from yours and the way yours always has been. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, well, my inspiration for writing this, actually, you were my inspiration for writing it, Dan, and sort of, you know, managed to convince me that it was an interesting thing that anyone would want to read about. But essentially, I just wanted to write about how her mode of viewing, which may be common to all children, or it may be a thing that some children do, but at any rate, was she is my only child, so I've only experienced it through her, but how that mode of viewing has has changed mine, essentially, um, in that, how would I summarize it? Essentially, in that she regards movies, and I'm sure TV as well, but this was specifically about our relationship to movies together, that she regards movies as sort of cabinets of curios to ransack for her own imaginative games and purposes, and that she sort of lives her life, much much of her home life with me, as a continuous pretend game in which we are characters from movies together. Now, if she had siblings, like you guys children's children do, they would do that together. But since she's an only child, and I happen to enjoy playing in that mode as well, more than I enjoy lots of other kinds of childhood play, um, that is what we do a lot of the time together, is that we walk around being Ponyo, and uh, essentially she will be the main character, the main girl right. character and everything, and I will be everyone else. So I have to have like a whole repertoire <laughs> of, of voices. I, I, I have to be able to be Fujimoto, the father in Ponyo at the drop of a hat, or the unnamed queen of the sea, mother of Ponyo, or you know whatever, whatever other character comes in handy. You also talk about how she doesn't, she doesn't watch a movie all the way through. She like fixates on a scene or a series of Right, this of is scenes. a very common kid thing, I'm sure, also because we limit their watching time, right? She has half an hour or so to watch before bed, so she will watch some chunk of a movie that she's interested in, and sometimes she'll just want to, especially when she was really little, just return to one scene over and over and over again. So it's also just sort of a way of conceiving of a film as a, a sort of a set of sensations or emotions that you enter into, rather than a coherent narrative that that you experience from beginning to end. Was there a time when you were trying, when you were like, when this was frustrating to you, when you were trying to like say like sit down and watch this whole movie? <laughs> yeah, it's just, you'll get it's something out of it. Is. Well, now that she's older and she's able to come to the movies with me, it, it makes me a little sad that she does not enjoy the theatrical experience. And that was part of the genesis of this article. Was just it's it's just funny to be a movie critic and be able to take your kid to you know the the first showing of the Box Trolls or whatever the new big kid movie is and they're completely uninterested. You yeah. know, she really does not enjoy being in a theater and that may be because I once traumatized her by bringing her to a work screening of Pirates of the Caribbean 4 essentially because I had no other childcare choices that night and uh, oh, and it man. was in How 3D. She? she was little. She was like five. It was a horrible act of, of child abuse. <laughs> she was really overwhelmed. She, she was essentially crying in the first five minutes of the movie. Not even because of the content. Nothing about so pirates. Loud. Just like the noise, the crowds, the whole thing seemed very vast and dark and scary to her. That's an appropriate response to that movie, I think, actually. She seems wise beyond her years. Now, do you remember 
did you ever was this ever the way you interacted with the movies when you were a kid? I mean, you talk in the piece about playing those sort of big, long, imaginative games that would last for hours and hours and hours with your best friend. But is that was that because of movies or have you always been a linear sit from beginning to end movie watcher? I think I mean, I don't know how linear I was as a kid, but I don't think I had her relationship to movies. No, I think that my imaginary game life involved other made up characters, maybe sometimes characters from books. I had a wonderful best friend who loved to play in the exact same way. And uh, and so we would sort of take on personas and pretend to be them for hours at a time. And so that I'm familiar with. But she's much more exposed to, you know, different um, movies and media than I was as a kid. Like, I would have to go to a movie as a kid, right, to see it. We didn't even have VHS at that point. So um, so she has a lot more to, to pick and choose from when she's doing her bricolage of pretend. So how in control are you of the movies she watches? Well, I say this in the piece. I mean, I'm probably more in control than a lot of parents because she's not that into new movies. She's not a big seeker of novelty. She is hard to get to. She's a huge seeker of novelty in everywhere else in life and will eat anything and try anything and go anywhere. But when it comes to movies, she wants to have her familiar menu of, of gentle, childlike movies. She doesn't like guns. She doesn't like violence. She actually, Dan, refused to watch Castle in the Sky, the Miyazaki movie. I was sort of trying to work my way through Miyazaki's whole catalog with her because she loves Totoro and Ponyo and Kiki's Delivery Service so much. But the minute we started Castle in the Sky, there was a scene with gunplay, and she wanted to turn it off and, and never see it again. So it is hard to introduce new things. And as a result, I can kind of curate her movie collection to stuff that I actually like. You talk about a bunch of the movies that she really loves in the piece, like National Velvet and 101 Dalmatians, Willy Wonka, Fantastic Mr. Fox, those Miyazaki movies. Are there movies that you thought, oh, this will be a home run, this is, good. this is right up her alley, but for some unknown reason, she just didn't respond to it, it just couldn't make her list, even though you loved it? Um, you know, I think the Pixar movies have sort of been that way. I don't know if it's because... That animation style, you know, because we watch a lot of old, more older hand-drawn movies, maybe that style is more unfamiliar to her. She liked The Incredibles when she saw it, but she had no desire to see it again. She was not particularly into Brave. Uh, I think she's seen bits of Toy Story. I think now if we took on Toy Story again and watched all three, she would, she would probably love those. But movies that are too kind of action-packed, especially if they involve any kind of like violence, even jokey Bugs Bunny violence, are something that she kind of turns away from. So uh, I remembered this piece and, and went back to reread it from a while ago, like 2008, I think, uh, by Tony Scott and The Times about uh, taking your kids to adult movies. Uh, I think he was suggesting taking kids to, what was that, Tom Hanks? Charlie yeah, Wilson's War. Charlie oh, that's right. His son loved Charlie Wilson's War. Right. And I, I think he wasn't saying, like, force your kids to see these movies, but he was saying, you know, like, be open to letting them see these movies. Is that, do you feel, like, it sounds like your daughter is not really, wouldn't be, like, psyched to go see a war movie, but, like, do you feel, do you feel like you want to, like, challenge her with movies or... Or just, like, let it be, like, her own pleasurable... I mean, for the moment, I don't mind movies being her comfort zone because I feel like she gets so much challenge in other areas and I'm not going to drag her off to see something that she doesn't want to see. But I do agree with with the basic contention of that article that, you know, cordoning off children's movies from adult movies and making it this... The the PG-13 rating, this uncrossable boundary, seems kind of absurd. The kids he's talking about, A.O. Scott is talking about, are a little older. I think his kids are preteens or something when that article was written. I know as a kid I would always be fascinated 
excited to get a glimpse of adult the adult movie world. And I remember going with my dad to see 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is arguably kind of adult, if only yeah. in its longness and weirdness, when I was 10. I have no idea why me and my father alone, the two of us, I have two siblings, went to see this movie in a theater when I was 10. But it left a very strong impression on me, precisely because it was mysterious and incomprehensible and adult-seeming. And I remember that in our conversation in the car on the way home from the movie, my dad also didn't seem to understand the movie. And that was this kind of incredible revelation, like, wow, there are movies that grown-ups don't get either, and they still want to go see them. Oh, that's great. It's interesting. Pearl is right, I think, on the border of the age where it starts to make sense to introduce her to movies that are not explicitly for kids. And, I mean, and Lyra, my daughter, is basically at that age, too. And I had this really interesting conversation with a with a dad of a friend of one of our daughters recently, he has a 10-year-old boy, and he and his son just watched The Right Stuff, which was a movie he remembered really liking when he was around that age, even though it's about adults, even though there's nothing particularly kiddish about it. But it, the, his son just loved it as like this a, a series of glimpses into the various different hidden worlds of adults, of science and of work and of marriage. and And it was also an adventure, and it was also – fascinating in that way but the, but it I love this idea of there being not just the universe of children's movies available to us but now there are grown-up movies that start to introduce our kids to different grown-up worlds. I love that notion. Yeah, the right stuff seems for the right age of kid extremely kid-friendly, right? Because it's about space travel and it's all about all sort of manhood, you know, all sort of different versions of being a man. So I could right. see that for a boy thinking about becoming a man that would be an exciting film. I like this also paired with our first segment. We talked to Lenore Skenazi about like letting free ranging. Yeah, but like you know, and that's that's more in a physical way. But letting your you know introducing your kids to like letting your kids roam a little freer in ideas where and, and not cordoning them off into like things that seem safe. We do have a, a friend, a, a friend, a family that um, that has two kids that are quite far apart. The boy is, I think, fifteen or sixteen, and their daughter is our daughter's age, eight, about to be nine. And they are constantly dragging the eight-year-old off. The son is a big cinephile. He's really, really into movies and exploring new movies and taking his parents to repertory theaters and stuff. And they'll just drag the eight-year-old along. And I cannot imagine my daughter standing for that. Like they went to Citizen Kane a few weekends ago. I'm sure she had no idea what was going on. But because that's part of her family culture, you know, she sort of sat through the movie and got out of it what she did. My daughter would have complained nonstop. What's going on? What are these people doing? Right. Okay, thanks, Dana, for coming on. It's a great piece. Everyone should read it. Uh, we'll put it on our show page. It's called Tumbling into the Screen by Dana Stevens. Thanks. And I want to thank Dan for encouraging me to write it because, as he knows, I was very neurotic about the idea of writing about parenting and that it would somehow be boring and, and completely insular. And I think he really helped make it into something interesting. So thanks. Good thanks, job, Dan. Dan. Okay, before we get to recommendations, one last announcement. I want to ask you guys for a small favor. Here at Slate, we're trying to learn more about our podcast listeners. So we want you to tell us about the podcasts you enjoy, <clears throat> ahem, how often you listen to them, and how you find out about new podcasts. So to find out, we created a survey. It takes just a couple of minutes to complete. If you fill it out, you'll help us continue to make great podcasts about the things you love and things you didn't even know you loved. To fill out the survey, just go to slate.com slash survey, or we've included a link to the survey in the show notes for this episode. That's what actually appears on your phone or device as you're listening to this episode. You can just click on that and take the survey. Remember, mom and dad are fighting as your favorite, of course. But that's slate.com slash survey. Thanks a lot. All right, let's move on to recommendations. Allison, what do you got? 
I have two quick recommendations, one for kids, one for adults. The one for kids is a very popular book that for some reason I had never read until someone bought it for Sam for his fourth birthday called The Book With No Pictures by actor, office star B.J. Novak. Have you read this book? I have not. Have you heard of this book? I knew that B.J. Novak had a book of short stories for grownups, but I didn't even know he had a kid's book. Yeah, and it's actually really fun. I mean, I will say, this is like, I don't want to undercut the recommendation, but there are only so many times you can read it, but it's a book with no pictures. Uh, and it starts out by saying how, oh my God, how boring this book is going to be because it doesn't have any pictures. Books without pictures are really, really, you know, serious and dull. But the thing about this book is, or books in general, is that grown-ups have to read the words that are on the page. That's the rule of books. Like, grown-ups are reading whatever words are on the page, and then the book forces you to say various ridiculous things <laughs> that your kids will love. So I read this to them, and they really loved it, and then they tricked John into reading it by telling him, <laughs> like, oh, there's this very important book that we, we want you to read to us. It's very serious, but we're going to learn a lot, and we really want you to read it. And they loved it. So it's it's very fun. The Good book job, with no BJ pictures. And then for adults, just a quick plug, because I did not watch the show, and we've been binge-watching it for the past few weeks and are not, now caught up. The Americans, season three premieres on Fox tonight as we're recording, so last night as you're listening. Uh, I really love the show, and it promises in the third season to be even more about the clash between Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese, who play... Um, Russian spies living a typical suburban life in uh, Falls Church, I think. Uh, more about the clash between their political ideals and their parenting. It's a lot about parenting and family life, so the Americans. And we also have a slate connection to this, so I'll just say, disclosure, that's not why I'm plugging it. So I do not watch the Americans, and I'm always curious, like, is the actual parenting stuff in the show relatable to those of us who are not spies? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> you sound so uh, skeptical. I, it just seems like uh, of all the things that are problems in my life, reconciling my love for the Soviet Union with my capitalist parenting techniques is not one of them. But I guess I'll I guess I'll try it out. But it's not about it's about like, you know, I mean, yes, it's, it's about that. But also, aren't there things that you believe in and messages that you want to impart to your kids that maybe they don't take to? No, they love everything I say. <clears throat> I recommend singing karaoke with your kids. That is my recommendation for this week. So we have really good friends uh, down the street who have two boys who are a little bit older. One is a middle schooler and one is right around Lara's age. So when we hang out with them, sometimes it is hard to like find things for the kids to do together. Like the adults just drink wine, obviously. But what do the kids do while we're drinking wine? We went over there the other night and their mom, uh, who's a music teacher, has microphones and amps in her house and she hooked up a computer to their tv and she just looked up lyrics videos on youtube and we all sang all night and every kid had a great time and all the adults had a great time obviously i had a great time i love karaoke and it was a really fun like multi-gender multi-age multi-generation evening uh i re highly recommend it that sounds really fun uh, okay, that's our show. Please email us at momanddad at slate.com with your thoughts about today's show, parenting tips, and suggestions for future topics. Don't forget to email us with your snow day tips specifically if you want to get a copy of The, the Box, Box Trolls. Trolls. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and please call us with your questions at 424-255-7833. Thanks so much to our producer, Ann Hepperman, to the managing editor of Slate Podcast, Joel Meyer, and to Andy Bowers, executive producer of all Slate Podcasts, Thanks to our guests, Lenore Skenazi and Dana Stevens. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for listening. It's
time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.